This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. There's a realization that somebody's got to be looking out for the future. At least part of the organization is ready and excited to get back to the work of strategy. And with that came a natural response, well, the world's different, so maybe our approach to planning should be different. Hello and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. I have two colleagues with me from the Enterprise and Physician Strategy Practice. It's Jennifer O'Connor who leads the practice and my colleague, Janelle Kwan. We're going to talk about an event that Jennifer dreamed up and Janelle, I said, I think we can make that happen. We called it an exchange. It was a big networking group of strategic planning leaders that we got together to talk about the nuts and bolts of their planning team, structure, process over a course of conversations this year. We just had our first one. It exceeded our expectations. We wanted to get together while it's fresh in our minds and give our listeners a debrief because it's not common that you have 40 leaders of strategic planning from big health systems together talking about how they get their work done, how they do the hard work of strategy and planning for their organizations. Part of this exchange was we did a pre-work survey so that we could do our homework and share some high-level trends with the group when we got online. Why don't I start with you, Jennifer? Can you give us a download of a few of the big things that we found from the survey before we even got on the phone with folks? You bet, Trevor. We had been curious to see how strategy had evolved after two and a half years of a pandemic. The ask of strategy, the role of strategy was varied and they had to be flexible. What does that mean now that we're ready to get out of survival mode and start to look ahead a little bit? So we asked some questions. We were curious if chief strategy officers were still a very common role or as our organizations had evolved their operations over the last couple of years and continued to consolidate due to mergers and acquisitions, had there been a shift? And the bottom line is we still most commonly see chief strategy officer as the most senior strategy title in an organization, and they most commonly report directly to the CEO. There were some shifts. We saw some different titles, most often in our very large national systems that have moved to more of a regional structure. We would expect that. And there were a handful of strategy leaders reporting into either the chief operating officer or the chief financial officer. We've always wondered, given the tie between decisions about our future and how we fund that future. If we would see CSO, CFO roles come together, and maybe this is a little bit of a precursor, but it was definitely the exception rather than the rule. We also asked folks to describe their approach to planning. And in previous research, back in 2019, prior to the pandemic, we asked strategy leaders across the country how would you describe your approach to planning? Is it very centralized, meaning a small core team is really setting the strategy across the organization and all of its business units? Or is it more decentralized, meaning the decisions about strategy and the planning process is really owned more at the business unit level, service line, or region? And there's a third option. Folks could be a hybrid somewhere in between. And back in 2019, the majority of organizations said they were a hybrid, a mix of both. 
when we were going through the pandemic, one of the things we hypothesized at SG2 is that planning would become more centralized. And we thought that was a path we were going down due to M&A and the pandemic would accelerate that. We were running through command centers. We had continued merger and acquisition activity. And we typically see as systems get bigger, merge, they try to take advantage of that new size and scale become more efficient, and that often means they get more centralized. It was interesting to ask this question, and for our attendees of the recent exchange, it bore out kind of what we expected at the start of the pandemic. What we heard here, that more organizations were signaling that they were more centralized in their approach to planning and leaned that way versus the other two types. We actually almost had a flip from a couple of years ago in terms of the number who said they were hybrid back then and the number who said they were centralized today. So interesting to see that our organizations continue to evolve and not surprisingly, strategy evolves with it. That's why we've had so many strategy leaders in the last six months raise their hand and say, we're reconsidering how we approach strategy and how we structure our teams. And could I talk about that? And that's really what drove these conversations. So this is all very timely. The last big question we asked folks in the survey prior to attending this strategy exchange was just to give us a sense of what's working with their current planning process and maybe what isn't working as well as they might hope. What are you considering altering? Some really important strengths came through loud and clear in the responses. Several people noting that they have what they believe is a truly analytics-driven process. There is a level of rigor that supports the important decisions they are helping the organization make. And we've long anchored around this idea that strategy should be data-driven at SG2. So it was great to hear that. There was also a lot of conversation about the strategy team embracing being nimble. We've certainly talked a lot about that here at SG2 over the last couple of years. It was simply a requirement under the pandemic. Also, the fact that their strategy teams had great relationships, and that was really important during the pandemic. They could reach out across teams, work across teams, help pass information. Those relationships really allowed the strategy team to continue to be useful and helpful during the pandemic when their typical work, the role of strategy, wasn't quite as applicable. They had to change on the fly the last couple of years and do new work that would be more useful to the organization in the moment. And so lots of folks responded that they hope that whatever this new process might evolve to be or new ways we might approach strategy, that they'll be able to keep those great relationships and that nimbleness. It's part of how they think they were able to be effective. And that could be really important for strategy in the future. It really allows them to support the organization and senior leaders making important decisions, even when things are changing quickly. And that's a real sweet spot for strategy. Lots of people contrast that with other work that they may be asked to be doing, lots of market share reports that get requested. And really, it caused some people to say, hey, we 
should democratize this data. Let's just get it out there. We don't want to be the keepers of the data, the report runners. We need to function at our highest and best. And that's not necessarily true when we're being a report shop. We can teach others how to access the data and use it appropriately. Let's focus on helping the organization make the really important decisions. That's when we best serve our organization. Those were some really good things to hear about strategy and its purpose in the organization. There were definitely some challenges. And we dug into some of those in our small group discussions, often hearing things about as the organizations got larger, processes were just more difficult to get our arms around. Things felt a little more disorganized, decentralized, and that just wasn't really efficient. So as organizations grow and change, there's a constant need to revisit how we do things and update them accordingly. Really across the board, folks also felt like the demands on the strategy team exceeded their capacity. We had lots of conversations about team size and workload and how to balance that. People are still seeking answers and struggling a bit there. Everyone commented that there is a tight link between the work they do in strategy and the expectations and success for key service lines in the organization. There's always this need for more expertise, more depth around service lines so they can do a good job there. And when the teams are small and strapped, it's hard to make time and build that expertise. Certainly some changes over the last couple of years, some strengths and some challenges, but kind of in line with what we expected. Janelle, it was nice to hear Jennifer go through that for the first time, because the last time you did that, we were panicking, looking at the groups and shuffling things around. This feels like the first time. Janelle, I will go to you now, because that's exactly what Jennifer presented to kick off the session, share some things we found nationally. Then we broke into groups for a majority of our time together because the point was an exchange of ideas. And when we put our heads together after, each group had a little bit of a different focus because we had built groups of peers and they were all a little different. Janelle, what did your group focus on? Our team really focused the conversation around how is your team itself evolving and what are some different skill sets you're looking to build out and bring under your strategy umbrella? Two things stood out. One was really around positioning them as a team. And there was the tension they talked about between being internal versus external. And the external being what are ways that we can engage more deliberately with the other key functions in the organization, finance, operations. A number of them commented, saw some good momentum over the last few years. It's work they want to continue. And then also in that external lens, what are ways we can arm ourselves to be better informed about what's happening outside of our health system, market dynamics, competitive trends to really make sure in an intentional way that weaves into how we form our strategy. They also talked a lot about that balance of shifting from being reactive to proactive. What are things that they can be doing in an intentional way to have their eyes on the future when so many things are coming at them? We talked also about roles. What are the skill sets you're looking to see? There was a common thread around getting additional expertise beyond traditional healthcare strategy backgrounds. For some, they were looking where are their ways in different roles, consumer industry, that they could bring that fresh perspective or lens to think about when formulating strategy. And others were actually looking within healthcare. One member focused specifically on finding people who had clinic or site of care experience. They felt that that intimate understanding of the patient experience could be a really valuable asset and source of expertise when thinking about how to 
like crack in a consumer-focused strategy. We heard a lot about data and some good momentum there, but really continue to build that. Really, I in building a skill set like a statistician, data scientist, and this was particularly true of the health systems that were on that shift to value-based care. They really thought that that was a strong skill set that they had to manage. And then not surprisingly, an ongoing discussion of how to continue to deepen that kind of service line expertise and to make that relationship more solid and to have a firm understanding of that. So lots of good stuff, a lot of momentum around evolving and repositioning. That's good and interesting because it's pretty different from what my group talked about. They talked a lot about the role strategy plays in prioritization. Bill Woodson shared a good story on the previous podcast episode about a new CSO in big organization. And the chief transformation officer said to them, don't worry about feeling like you're the one who has to come up with all the new strategic ideas. Everyone else in the C-suite thinks they're their idea person too. You have to be the one who helps prioritize and make it all real and figure out how we can get all this stuff done. That really was reflected in my group's discussion too, where they said there's a balance where operators can often view the CSO in particular as the one who makes the decision about what gets done and what doesn't get done. And the organizations that were successful in sharing some good stories around how they changed that perception had built a really transparent process for operators with new ideas, with strategic initiatives to come to the C-suite and pitch. And they said, it ends up looking like Shark Tank and operators dread it because they're just getting grilled and peppered with questions. And yeah, strategy is going to help them prepare and bring data to the conversation. But still, tough crowd, tough questions, understandably. They also said that ability to provide transparency into the process naturally meant that there was financial leadership at the table, which helped align strategic priorities with financial reality and financial priorities, and maybe even take a meeting off the books. Because why do we need a financial prioritization meeting and a strategic prioritization meeting? We should really be able to have those things happen together. The final piece on prioritization that someone mentioned and everyone was nodding with is we're not good at building enough milestones and even more important, off-ramps for projects. As stuff gets deprioritized, which inevitably it's going to be at some point, you need a kind of natural off-ramp and a process to allow other things to bubble up and be prioritized. They saw strategy having an important role there. And one of the things we're going to talk about in future sessions is implementation. And that adds a long tail to any strategic priority project as the strategy team staying involved longer. The group went in a few other directions, but that was kind of the focus. Jennifer, you had a group of AMCs. Was their focus different? Or I know we heard a few things from other groups as well. Anything else that really stood out? It was fascinating. We really focused a lot of the conversation on the size of the team. There was such variation across the group. I knew there would be some, but I don't think I expected quite this much. In our assembled group of members, we had a strategy team of four, all the way up to what will be a team of 20 by the time this strategy leader is finished hiring. And yet everyone to a T said, I don't have enough people. Of course, once we actually shared how many everyone had, the team of 20, they were feeling a little better, I think. But it makes you realize very quickly that strategy looks very different in different organizations. And the team size is varied because what's expected of strategy, it's a wide landscape. A lot of organizations have what I would call classic strategy work for the enterprise as kind of their main focus. They are involved in strategy for key service lines or regions, or in the case of academic medical centers, 
key departments under the faculty practice plan. Several were involved also in business development, which is typically tied at the hip with strategy. If it's not the same team, they work very closely. So that congruence of tasks and skills wasn't surprising. After that, though, it varied really significantly. Half the group had innovation responsibilities as a strategy team. Half of them didn't. Two of the members were very actively in acquisition mode. So the strategy team was really handling lots of M&A, fair market value, post M&A integration, all that work, because that's what their organizations were focused on. So there's a reasoning behind the variance in team size, but I think everyone wishes they had a a couple of more. It was interesting to me that several folks mentioned they had open positions, not just backfills. Folks had been able to make the case that the organization had evolved and with it, the work of strategy needed to evolve. And so the team size and structure needed to change to accommodate that. And it's just interesting because workforce is such a huge challenge for a lot of reasons for everyone right now. So it was interested to hear that some folks had been able to make the case for additional staff. Trevor, it's interesting to me that your group focused on prioritization. The next conversation, we will certainly come back to that topic. This group would have wandered into that if there'd been more time. Let's just assume we can get the team to the size we want to do the work that we are expected to do. But increasingly, strategies being asked to be involved in execution. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we structure it? We can't continue to do more strategy work for more projects. At some point, we've got to get better at prioritizing them. People started to ask about project management offices, who had them, what do they do, where do they live? I'm sure that in future sessions, that's going to be a really interesting and robust discussion. Janelle, I know there was one other finding that really perked everyone's ears up around scenario planning. Do you want to walk us through that? Yeah. So one of the things we found from one member was this approach where they essentially got into the shoes of their competitor and acted like if they were in the role of the competitor, what would they do in that situation? And the group found the leadership would be incredibly helpful for getting outside of themselves and really being proactive, anticipating what would that, I almost used the term foe, I mean, competitor actually do. Jennifer and Trevor, where else? That one just really stood out because it was both kind of a bit provocative, but also incredibly helpful as we heard it. We don't have time to spend six months doing some gigantic report that is competitive intelligence. What is the way we can collectively take the brain power in the room, harness what we know about this market and these competitors, lay it out, build on each other, play it forward, and use that to our advantage? This is such a great way of moving quickly and enabling decisions. Back to that idea of nimble that we talked about before. I'm not surprised. It piqued the interest of the rest of the crowd. I think there was also a theme there. They felt a little bit liberated from it, right? It didn't put limits on what was the potential. There was no limit. And it actually, I think, to your point, unleashed a lot of ideas that they probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. That's well said. Now, Janelle, this was the first of four sessions. Both Jennifer and I alluded to pieces that we're hoping to cover in later sessions. Can you just outline what the rest of the exchange is going to look like this year? 
The next three are going to focus on the planning process and timeline, prioritization and execution. And we're excited to be able to, just like we did today, share some key learnings and insights from those conversations. So SG2's done a lot of work in this space. Jennifer, you've been a number of those engagements and projects. Tell us a little bit more about where we've come in here. We definitely started to get the sense probably about six months ago that members were acknowledging the pandemic would be with us. It would be more endemic. And leaders who had responsibility for the future success of the organization were going to have to get back to the work of strategy. There's a realization that somebody's got to be looking out for the future. At least part of the organization is ready and excited to get back to the work of strategy. And with that came a natural response, well, the world's different, so maybe our approach to planning should be different. We've started getting calls from members to ask how the planning process needs to change. Those calls are partly what prompted this strategy exchange. But what's been interesting is there's this sense of urgency behind it. We've had so many of these calls. Folks are really ready to go. So our colleagues in consulting are starting to work boots on the ground with some of our members to redesign their process. Members are asking us, can you help us reimagine our planning process? You understand what's changed in the world, SG2, and you know our organization. Bring your future focus and help us construct something, a new approach to planning that's a little different that's nimble, that pushes us to think differently. So we've got multiple projects right now running where our consulting colleagues are helping develop these new approaches to planning. It's going to be exciting to see how some of those play out. As we've been thinking about those, what are some of the things that need to be considered? What is it we're trying to push people to do differently? We've been talking about things like care at home here at SG2 for a couple years, things that can be highly disruptive. We need to make sure these new processes ask tough questions. What will our market look like? And push thinking. What could really be different? Some of that will be natural because we're about to come up on some turnover. There are many CEOs who stuck with their organizations past their intended retirement date because we were in the middle of the pandemic. As those CEOs transition, and we know there are many coming up this summer, it's probably the right time for organizations to step back and rethink their planning process. And in fact, that's a scoping call I was literally on yesterday. An organization with a pending transition wanted to talk about a retreat to redesign and reinvigorate their planning process this summer. We're going to see more retirements in the next 12 months. And it's the right time to ask the question, how can we get this new leadership team to gel, to have a vision and bring the organization forward in a new way? And one of the best ways to do that is to rethink your approach to strategic planning. At the risk of sounding not very humble, I'm going to argue that there's nobody better than the group we've assembled here at SG2 to help people do that. And it's also just really fun, if I'm honest. It is fun. And this debrief, we love this stuff. And it was just fun to share what we all heard. Thank you, Jennifer and Janelle, for sharing what you heard and learned from our members with all our listeners. Look forward to having you back on SG2 Perspectives again soon. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes. And you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.